in this episode, Peter talks with Kavita Krishnaswamy. Kavita is a PhD candidate in computer science at the University of Maryland, Baltimore, working with Dr. Tim Oates. Kavita is a Google Lime Scholar and Microsoft Research Fellow. She's both a Ford Foundation Pre-Doctoral and National Science Foundation Graduate Research Fellow. She's also worked at the National Science Foundation's Engineering Research Center, Quality of Life Technology Center in Carnegie Mellon and University of Pittsburgh and IBM Business Consulting Services. Kavita is a professional researcher with a physical disability. She's motivated by a powerful innate force. Autonomy is the soul of independent daily living that she's achieved with the advancement of technology. Her research involves the development of robotic systems to provide assistance and increase independence for people with disabilities. She is developing several prototype robotic systems that will support transferring, repositioning and personal care with a focus on accessible user interfaces for control that are feasible for persons with severe disabilities. And this is the main topic of our discussion in this episode. This is STEMiverse podcast episode 57. STEMiverse is a podcast produced by Tech Explorations. Our mission is to help educators become awesome at teaching STEM, be it at home or in the classroom. Whether you are a professional or casual teacher teaching in a classroom or a parent or caretaker teaching at home, this podcast brings you the knowledge and experiences of practitioners, academics, entrepreneurs and lifelong learners who are passionate about education and strive every day to help our children prepare for life in a world of radical change and why not abundance. Here we are in another episode of STEMiverse and I have with me Kavita Krishnaswamy. Did I say that correctly, Kavita? Yes, Peter, you did. Thank you. Uh, how would you pronounce especially your surname? Krishnaswamy. Krishnaswamy, yeah. Thank you for that. I, I did practice a little bit, <laughs> but uh, oh, right. I wasn't sure how to say it. So uh, I want to welcome you to our podcast uh, and uh, I want to acknowledge that uh, you are, well, first of all, in a very cold place right now. You are in the northeastern of the United States. I'm here in Sydney. Uh, you are expecting a bit of snow today. I'm expecting a bit of rain, but it's okay. Same planet. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> so we're using this amazing technology to connect. Um, I thought that you are an extremely interesting person to interview on our podcast because of the topic of your research and of your your background and your life situation. So I'd like to uh, give you a little bit of time to talk about yourself, you know, a little bit of your personal history that brings you to where you are now, and then we can drill into your work. Sure. First of all, thanks, Peter, so much for inviting me to speak at your podcast. It's an honor and I'm very humbled to share about my life, my experiences mm. and my future in some snapshot. Absolutely. So, yes. So I can start off by saying I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And my advisor is Dr. Tim Oates. Mm-hmm. And I'm specifically focused on my research that focuses on developing assistive robotics 
to help people with disabilities and seniors, mm. the aging population in particular, and to try to find ways to increase their independence and find ways that we can increase their quality of life. Mm. So that's my focus. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, uh, one thing I should mention, if that's okay, is that you are a person with a physical disability, right? And I guess that adds uh, another dimension in the work that you do. Yes, Peter. So I'm a person with a physical disability and the nature of my condition, it's spinal muscular atrophy. It's a family of muscular dystrophy. So it's a neuromuscular disorder. So it limits my ability to move my arms and legs and I need 24-7 care support just to achieve my activities of daily living. Mm. So I rely on others for help. And right now, you know, my parents are also aging. And my mom is my primary caregiver. So it's even twice as hard because yeah. she has to take care of her own health issues and take care of me. Yeah. Um, it, it is... A, a a lot of people living around us have disabilities uh, to one extent or the other. Not everybody's the same, uh, especially as we age. I, I personally am familiar with uh, disability that my grandmother has, who is, uh, I won't say her age because she doesn't like talking about that. She doesn't allow me to do that. <laughs> but she right. has. She is confined on a wheelchair, like a lot of other people in the nursing home where she lives. So I can see it firsthand how dependent these people are to others. And of course, in your case, uh, it is not because of your age that you are confined on a wheelchair, but because of the, uh, it's a disease, right? It's not an injury that you have. Yes. It's a, neuro, it's a genetic condition. Genetic. So I was born with it. Yeah. So it's uh, a part of my identity now. Hmm. And, you know, as a child, they really worried that I couldn't walk or run. And hmm. it was very challenging for me to really understand what was wrong with me because I saw my younger brothers running and walking, playing, right? Hmm. And I couldn't do all of those things. So it really didn't really help me to understand what or why I was different. Yeah. So it took a while for me to understand that. And after I understood, I really accepted my challenges and limitations. You can use things like, you know, uh, assistive technologies on the computer, touchpad or trackball mouse, mm. voice recognition to speak. So all of those assistive technologies helped me to go through schooling, finish high school. Yeah. And that gave me a perspective, like, you know, with some assistance, like with something that could help me, my skills can be, you know, as equal as to somebody that does not have a disability. Hmm. So that gave me some hope. So I thought to myself, you know, if this were possible through computing, it could be the same through other technologies, yeah. like robotics, right? Using similar control mechanisms. I should be able to be a little bit more physically independent. And, you know, another challenge is uh, there's a huge challenge with a shortage of nurses. Mm -hmm. It is very difficult to find caregivers. Yeah. And I'm not sure how it is in your country, but here it's very challenging because, first of all, medical insurance cannot cover 24-7 care at home. Maybe if I were to move into a nursing home, but then I would be away from my family 
I wouldn't be able to stay at home. Yeah. But to find help at home, it's very challenging. And you also have a very productive age, right? Um, it is the age where your mind is active and you want to do things, you want to design technology. <laughs> yes. So you can't really be at uh, an environment uh, where there's, or in a nursing home, for example, where you are away from all the tools that you need, the computers and uh, the specialist right, and care. Nobody, nobody wants to be in a nursing home in yeah. their 20s or 30s. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> your peers are not going to be there in the nursing home. Exactly. It's hard to find how to find inspiration. Right. Um in, in my mind Stephen Hawking comes to mind, right? And um mm-hmm. looking at how he was assisted by technology to produce the amazing body of work that he did. Um, I'm I'm now coming back to you and I'm thinking that just like him, just like you, there's probably a lot of other people in similar situations where they have a brilliant mind, but they need a robot. Uh, by that, I mean some kind of assistive technology that can help them just break loose of the body, of, of the, you know, the limitations that the body uh, confines them to a chair and just use the brain to, to teach, learn, you know, create in the world uh, is that the feeling that you have as well is that like what the role of these technologies is yes definitely Stephen Hawking is a huge inspiration to me I mean his condition and my condition are almost similar mm. any of us in SMA have similar symptoms so I understand you know what he must have went through yeah. right but still he was able to use his mind for greater purposes yes and especially in you know, sciences. And I'm really interested in the sciences, you know, technology. This whole STEM aspect is because I think that could really bring the greatest impact to humanity by making good progress. Yeah. And we are now wanted or not, or for better or worse, I think for much, much better, is our fate as humans is intertwined with that of technology. We really need to advance at uh, similar rates if we want to go forwards and succeed as a species like technology is our future yes definitely and every technology has become a a part of our daily lives now so when we can do that and because everybody can rely on this aspect of telepresence like being anywhere remotely right that Mm -hmm. can even bring a greater change to our society you know so i think that's very important that we see advancement in all aspects throughout the world. Absolutely. Um, I, I wanted to switch slightly and just mention that you were recommended that I will bring you on as a guest to our podcast by Andre Kay, uh, who is another, uh, or he's in the world of robotics as well. She was interviewed in episode 49. Uh, so I, I wanted to mention that. And then to congratulate you again, because you were recently named one of five women to watch after 40 years old by New Mobility Magazine, which probably most of us, it's a magazine that we probably don't know. But uh, these five women, uh, just like you, have some sort of physical disability, but they are doing amazing things. So congratulations. And I wanted to ask you, was it something specific that you've done uh, perhaps in your research uh, that prompted New Mobility Magazine to give you this honor? Or was it uh, perhaps your whole life's work up to now? 
Yes, I want to also, first of all, thank Sandra for helping me to meet you, Peter, because that gave me the opportunity to have this experience on the podcast. So thanks, Sandra. And I want to mention, you know, the ability to take part in the new mobility recognition Hmm. of the top five women, right? Yeah. So that came as a result of, you know, their recognition of seeing my work and Hmm. seeing my progress towards increasing independence for people with disabilities. Yeah. And I wanted to mention, I was recently recognized by the Baltimore Sun as well well (laughs) for being in the top 25 women in Baltimore to look out for. So that all happened this year. I'm really grateful for both Baltimore Sun and New Mobility for recognizing my efforts. That's great. It just gives me a lot of pressure because that means I have to work harder to make all of this happen. <laughs> yeah, and you've got plenty more to do. So maybe uh, I, should, I was about to ask you about the future, but I think uh, uh, um, we should stay in the past for a little longer and then move into the future. Okay. So just for our audience, could you give us uh, like a summary, some examples of the work that you've done in the area of robotics for people with physical disabilities that can help them in some ways? Just some examples so we can understand your work. Okay, one project I was a part of was controlling a arm, a robotic arm in the kitchen that can open cabinets, Mm. turn the faucet on. And this was at the University of Pittsburgh with Dr. Dan Ding, Mm -hmm. working with her on the kitchen bot project. This was part of helping, you know, increase independence for veterans to increase it by creating a accessible interface on a tablet so that they can control this kitchen robotic arm to do tasks on the tasks of, you know, things. So the device contains a tablet, like an iPad with a touch screen. Yes. Uh-huh. And it's got a, right. a mechanical arm or, uh, I guess, Yes, arms, a mechanical right? arm that's on a track. So if you want to open up a cupboard and take a can of spaghetti out of it, you can yes. provide the input on the screen and then the robot will interpret any movement and take the can right. out, right? Right, you can click on, you don't have to give it exact up and down directions. You can mm. do that if you want, but just by clicking on the picture of the cabinet, which is going to be shown on the tablet, mm. the robotic arm will perform the localization itself, do the path planning itself, and mm. go to that cabinet, open the door, take a can of, let's say, I don't know, coffee, yeah. coffee, <laughs> put it on the stove and turn the stove on oh. and try to serve, pour it in the cup and serve. Okay. That sounds fairly advanced. Like a, as an engineer, you know, I think about all the technologies that are part of a, a robot like that. Like there's a lot of intelligence in it. There's a user interface, of course. There is... Uh, the electrical system and batteries. There is the visual aspect of recognizing objects. Um, is there voice control as well? In that project, we did not work on voice. Hmm. But in another project that I was part of at UMBC hmm. with Dr. Oates and Dr. Ravi Kubera, we worked on using a brain-computer interface, hmm. voice, keyboard, and mouse to try to compare those four inputs in order to move an avatar, right? To move the avatar's arm by repositioning it using 
these four input devices and compare to see which one was the most effective. Yeah. Wow. And this was just through a desktop application. Yeah. So this particular robot would help around the kitchen, um, but uh, I think you've yes. got uh, seen some pictures of other robots that you've made that allow uh, that help people get in and out of bed, for example, or in and out of wheelchair, right? Yes, I have a number of prototypes that I've designed to specifically help with mobility in bed, such as you know mm. repositioning arms and legs inside, you know, when they're laying in bed or sitting yeah. up. And also help them to transfer from the bed to the wheelchair or from yeah. the wheelchair to the bed. Those are like transferring robotic devices. Uh, traditionally, what's been used is Hoyer lifts, you know, mm. it's like a type of thing. Yeah, yeah, person I've seen that in nursing homes. Right? Yeah. Probably, but there's no control given to the person that's no. really in this thing, right? And you need two and, people to operate them. <laughs> right, so I don't understand how it's effective. You know, you need two people still, yeah. and the person sitting in the, you know, using the device feels very uncomfortable. Mm. So the prototypes I've designed, so I have in mind that the person does not need a caregiver. The person themselves, with minimal assistance, can transfer themselves yeah. from the bed to the chair yeah. with the robotic device. And full control is... Yeah. The uh, full control is given to the user. Yeah, because I think your goal is independence in the end of the day. Yes. And the challenge for me is to safety, because no matter how much intelligence we put into the software, or how reliable or robust the hardware is, mm -hmm. the aspect we have to put together is safety factors. Yep. The environmental conditions are so dynamic the robot has to be intelligent, be dynamic in order to adapt to these changes and compensate for any you know, differences in the environment and intelligently make those decisions to create maximum safety for the user. Yeah. Uh, so are those devices available for people to, to purchase, I guess, and use? My plan is very soon. Yeah. As of now... They don't exist in the market now. That there's a great need yeah. for people worldwide to have these devices. And I'm working extremely very hard to try to bring it to the market as soon as possible. I think you have sponsors from the industry, don't you? Like Google, um, I think. Yes, Google, Microsoft have supported our research. And the National Science Foundation mm. in the U.S. has supported our research. IEEE. Well, they would be interested, of course, to commercialize this technology and make it available to yes. as many people as possible. Yes, definitely. Great. Yeah. Like, as our populations are aging, like Japan, for example, is an example, uh, Europe um, and Euro European populations uh, are aging as well. Like, these problems are only going to amplify, and uh, there simply are not enough nursing homes and caregivers and, and hoists and lifters for everybody are just, I'm thinking, 20 or 30 years in the future. Uh -huh. So your machines uh -huh. will be there to provide uh, assistance, badly needed assistance to improve quality of life. Another aspect of my research that's very important to me is the ability for the person with a disability to help others. For example, yeah. I want to be able to remotely control a robot 
in a different location to help somebody else. Mm. So a person maybe that has, uh, I guess, more limitations than I do, but that cannot have the ability to use their voice to control the robot, me remotely connecting through this web interface that I'm going to develop, I can control that robot in their location to help them yes. by using you know, my control. Because uh, I guess two scenarios I can think about is uh, we can control you know, the Mars rover or Curiosity robot in Mars from here, right? Yes. <laughs> from Earth to Mars, right? And we can do that successfully. And also when we have surgeries, right? There's remote surgeries yeah. Yeah. that doctors are performing from one location to another. So in these two situations, we can do it remotely. So why not use the same abilities mm. and technologies to help people that need assistance? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a lot about, uh, a lot of talk about uh, using mind uh, to control devices. Like I've got an interest in drones, for example. One of my courses um, are about how to build a drone, uh, but I'm very aware that some people have gone to the next step and instead of using, you know, the, the classic radio control uh, junction between uh, you know, the user and the drone itself they use mind control <laughs> so it's right. very eerie to see a flying machine react to something that we can't see because we we can't see the controller's thinking but the controller says i'm going to land now and then the drone lands without the controller, the human controller moving their hands, or the controller says, I'm going to instruct the drone to turn left. And then <laughs> the drone turns left again with no physical movement. And that is very, very strange, but it is happening at that level. So disability and building robots to help, uh, it's definitely uh, something very useful. It's happening. Like even if I wanted to, you know, push something away from me like a mosquito coming to bite me right i mm. can't do that right now so imagine if there's a robotic arm near me right yeah could chew away the mosquito just yeah think about it but something very simple like that there was actually a situation where my advisor and i were speaking on skype right and my parents were just they just stepped outside and a mosquito just came at that perfect time oh, no to bite me, right? But my <laughs> caregivers just left for the day, right? Yeah. They just left for the day. My parents just stepped outside. Perfect opportunity. I don't know how it calculates mm. the mosquito, right? It must yeah. be very smart. But my advisor was able to see the mosquito bite me and he was helpless. He couldn't help me. Yes. Right? Remotely, yes. even though he could see everything, he couldn't help me. Yeah. So in those precise situations, remote assistance would be great. Perfect, yeah. Uh, it's coming. I, I know you're working on it, so it is going to be real soon. Um, I wanted to, be, because we are a STEM or STEAM education podcast, I wanted to talk a little bit about your journey in education and uh, what that brought you where you are now, a roboticist, right? So obviously you are a roboticist now and your research is in robotic technologies that help people with physical disabilities did you always want to become a roboticist and in particular have you ever thought about if you didn't have your physical disability would you still want to be a roboticist or something else perhaps well education is my life i really mm. love academics 
I'm really passionate about learning. I think that keeps me occupied with my time and mm. it gives me less time worrying about my challenges. So you always wanted to be a roboticist? Uh-huh. <laughs> how, how far back can you well, remember? I, you I, I think, I'm trying to think, I guess in high school, mm. I had a passion of getting all A's. Like I really want to ace every course. So I'm very proud that I could mm -hmm. get a 4.0 GPA. That means getting an A in all of the classes from 9th to 12th. Science in particular? Did you have favorites? Yes, I really enjoyed the sciences, technologies, computers, all the STEM. Yeah. Because I felt like I could really put my talent in that area. And in high school, I was a part of the mathematics, engineering, science achievement program. In that particular time, uh, we were given the opportunity to work on a robot or robotic project mm -hmm. in high school. And at that time, no one was interested. It really perplexed me. Hmm. So I volunteered to be the first one to take part in that robotic project. Uh, And since I couldn't do the building of the robot myself, I requested my brothers, my younger brothers, to be my hands. Mm -hmm. So I was the brain, and I instructed them to build the robot according to my instruction. Remote control. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they helped me build the robot, and uh, at that time we won third place wow. in the state of Maryland on the robotic uh, project we built. It was like a race. Each of the robots that was built from each school, they have this race of who crosses the line first. And the robot we built won third place in our state. So I'm wow, very amazing. happy and proud of that. <laughs> and that was in high school. So you're in high school now. So you're obviously your, your physical problems, um, movement, control of your hands. You didn't have control of hands at that point. But your mind was there, was active. You were learning. And with the help of your family, you were able to build robots. Uh, I guess and my particular teacher that was involved, her, her name was uh, Mrs. Marie Boston. She was very mm -hmm. understanding and very encouraging me. She didn't say no or discourage me saying, you don't even have the physical ability to build a robot. Mm -hmm. How can you do this, right? She actually encouraged me saying, you can do it and, you know, we can all help you. So many weekends, she would come from her home to school to help us on the project. Wow, it's amazing. So that really helped me, right? That uh, goes to show how pivotal a teacher can be in the life of a student. Uh, yes, it was to, very... To go over and beyond. Uh, encouraging. Beyond the call of duty. <laughs> Because she didn't look at... Yes, she didn't look at my physical challenges. She still encouraged me to do something that was beyond my abilities and you know that really encouraged me to go to college too so could you describe what was happening at, at your school because your, your disability was extreme in in a way like you need to be in a wheelchair so all the classrooms that you had to go to had to be accessible i guess doing exams would be challenging uh participating in activities in in labs and so on like, What was your school like to accommodate all these special needs that you had? 
It was challenging. Mm -hmm. For me, it was more of the strain, actually, of being in class for the whole day. Mm. So the school from our county was very understanding, accommodating by helping me be homeschooled for half of the day. Uh And I would go into school for the other half of the day. So that type of balance helped me because I was able to rest and learn at the same time Mm. and also go to school for the rest of the half of the day where the most important I could interact with my peers as well. Yes, social contact. And even, you know, writing on paper, right? Writing on paper was very challenging for me. So I was given additional time to work on assignments to help accommodate me. Still used pen and paper, but just needed additional time? Uh-huh. Yeah. And because SMA is progressive, in high school I had the ability to write by hand, but gradually I lost my ability to write. Yeah. I was able to even use a standard mouse and a standard keyboard before. Mm-hmm. And gradually that also declined. And I became accustomed to using an on-screen keyboard to type through the mouse. And I switched to using a trackball mouse instead of a standard mouse. Yeah, A trackball mouse is a inverted mouse. You've probably seen it, right? Yeah, yeah, my wife uses one. But that's because you have, uh, you can still move one finger, I think. Is that right? Yes. So you can use that to scroll the ball. So I can use that with my one finger. Yeah. Right. So school was very supporting. uh, Yes. (laughs) How could you do it otherwise? Um, your family was uh-huh, very right, supporting. Right. See all these people that come together to help. And then you you are very interested in science. And I assume, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that helps you all these difficult years of you know your body transitioning and losing capability, but your mind staying strong and science focusing uh, gives you a, a place to focus on your energy. Uh, yes, definitely. Yeah. It seems like it's the opposite. The more the body declines, the more your mind gets stronger. Get the focus on it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a strange correlation, but that's what has happened. Yeah. Was you know going into college was that like a, a natural conclusion for you, or did were you thinking that maybe you you can't do it? Yes, I really never was told I should even go to college. Mm. Like no one spoke to me about it. Hmm. Uh, I saw all of my friends apply to colleges. Even when they spoke amongst themselves, they would say, oh, you're going to this college, you're going to that college, but no one would even ask me (laughs) if I was even applying. So it was the total, I guess, underestimation of my abilities or even the need for me to go to college. And you were straight A student as well. Yes. So... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I didn't understand, uh, I guess, the type of preconceived notion that yeah. I couldn't make it to college. But in your mind, was there any question that you would go? In my mind, I, it was not even a question. It was more like uh, a question of why no one encouraged me. Mm-hmm. And at that point, uh, only, I guess, like I said, Mrs. Marie Boston she encouraged me to go to college. Yes, a teacher again. She even said yes. And again, uh, another one very special to me is my guidance counselor, Mrs. Fran Dummett. Yeah. Her son was a 
Meyerhoff Scholar. That means hmm. it's a scholarship that's provided with, you know, the full four years with room and board and tuition. Yeah. Everything is paid for. And she told me about the program. She encouraged me to uh, apply for the Meyerhoff Scholarship. She actually took me to the University of Maryland, my college now, Baltimore County. Mm. She gave me a tour. She told her son to come talk to me. I mean, she was really enthusiastic and encouraging to tell me to apply because her son did it. And if her son can do it, you know, I could also do it, right? Yeah, she yeah. treated me like a daughter, you know? She wanted me to succeed. She was very passionate about helping others also succeed. Yeah. So that helped me to apply to college at UMBC and apply for the Meyerhoff Scholarship. The Meyerhoff Scholarship. Yeah. And, you know, from there, I applied and I received it. So I was very fortunate. Yeah, and that, that was the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at your scholarships and fellowships on your webpage, and uh, it's very impressive. We'll have that linked in our show notes as well. Okay, thank you. That, that produced a lot of research, like your research, uh, your record, uh, publications uh, are very impressive, and you don't have your PhD yet, thank which you. is like you are gearing up. You're still at the gearing up stage. You are <laughs> getting there. Um, so I guess I want to. Yeah. I want to say that we need people throughout our life to open doors for us because uh, that yeah. can only give us the next path forward. Yeah. That will help us to make a contribution to science and technology. Yeah, definitely. It's really good uh, of you pointing that out because I'm, I'm thinking of you know the maker education as we call it, which is um, a type of education that students or learners, I should say, not students, but learners guide the learning, but they always depend on mentors. And mentors is like a, a broad definition for a person that is there to help out. And you can see how, in your case, these people made a huge difference in your life. And we're a lot of people, it seems, not just one or two, but even just a single person can make a huge difference in a person's life. And think that's what we always need to remember as teachers when we are dealing with students, that we can make a big difference. Right, even a simple idea can make a big impact. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you now just uh, to look at your future, right? What is your biggest project right now? And if you think, say, five years from now, what do you see in terms of new assistive technology that either you develop or somebody else perhaps that will make a real difference in your life and, and other people with these severe physical disabilities? Right. My ultimate goal is for a robotic to device to be in my home mm. so I can be independent as possible. And there's also another robotic device and either the aging or another person with a disability so mm. I can help them. So it's the opportunity to help somebody can really bring a great amount of satisfaction yeah. to me because I've always been helped, but I've never had many opportunities to help others. Yes. So I really crave that in my life. Yes. Like I want to help somebody, right? So I imagine in the near future, there will be a robotic arm that can safely reposition my arm mm. and leg through my own control. And I would be able to do that independently without a caregiver's assistance. Yeah. I wonder in the future, how do we think about 
home assistive robots like will it be like a humanoid robot that walks around with us like a butler and does things or okay. dedicated robots so we have one in the kitchen that is specialized in cooking and picking things out of cupboards we've got one in the bedroom that helps us get in and out of bed so one in the bathroom i guess would would that be more <laughs> like right i guess there could be more it could depend on the user's needs mm. definitely because there are different applications or this one humanoid robot can perform different applications throughout the home and even outside as well. Yeah. Because there are so many needs that we have and so many aspects of life that a robot could help us with. So everything is needed. And in time, I know everything will be here in the near future. Yeah. I guess um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Battlestar Galactica, so TV series in which uh-huh. the robots rise against the humans <laughs> and <laughs> destroy humanity. Uh, and there's a lot of movies out like that. Uh, very, very yeah. entertaining. Uh, but, you know, it seems like we need robots uh, in education, in our homes, in our factories, in our cars. <laughs> Can we survive without them? <laughs> <laughs> self-driving cars will be yeah. really wonderful that you know some i can't drive a car yes but if i go. want to go to the store you know i can get in the car and go to the store get my things come back home so it really gives the person more control of their lives independence without relying on others right there's a reason i stress on independence but it doesn't mean i want to be alone mm-hmm. that's a different i want to be able to take care of my own needs. That's the really yeah. aspect I'm looking at. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about, just to come back to education. In your situation, you, you experienced the educational system, in your case in the US, but you know Australia would be similar and other places uh, in Europe perhaps would be similar. You experienced the educational system as a person with special needs. Could you think back and just come up with a few points that, in your case, the system did really well and other areas where the system could be improved? Because I, I just wanted to mention that a lot of teachers are listening to the podcast, uh, to this particular episode, and it'd be really good to hear from somebody like you about things that they can improve in, in their schools or in, in the way that you know they work with their own students who may have physical disabilities. Right. I guess I want to also share, after I went to college, it was challenging for me because in high school, I was given an assistant that would be hired through the school to come and help me in class, if oh, you know, to yeah. reposition my arms, yeah. take notes for me, things of that sort. The school provided that for me. Wow. In college, though, I was not provided that. It was a big shock to me. Mm. So my mom had to come with me, sit in all the classes and take me to classes and stay with me. So one aspect of, you know, the, the college experience that could be improved worldwide is, you know, silent assistant could come with the person with a disability or the students to help them. Yeah. That's one aspect I think could be very helpful. Until we have robots, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Until the robots come. Yeah. Right. And, you know, as my health got worse over time, it was difficult for me to even go on campus. Yeah. And at that point, it was very, that was the first semester of grad school. When I started my PhD, 
it was very discouraging me, discouraging to me because I want to really do this PhD, but my health was in a very bad condition that I couldn't go to campus. Mm. So I felt I there was no hope for me, and I had no choice but to quit. And I was very fortunate that my professor, Dr. Charles Nicholas, he came up with the idea that I could connect through Skype to attend classes. Wow. Simple, yeah. Very simple, and the yeah. technology is available. But that idea did not come across to any other professor but him. Yeah. Right? So there's technology that helps. Yes. Are there any technologies that can assist uh, today's technology available, not, not in the future, uh, you know, at, at any level, whether you are at university, whether you are at a school or classroom, like a elementary school, things like Skype. Right. So I encourage teachers to be flexible and open-minded and come mm. up with creative solutions to assist their students to succeed. It doesn't have to be the traditional way of teaching or learning. Yeah. Just any way to learn. That's the basic you know, thing we want, right? We want to be able to learn. And it can be in any unique way as possible. And after that, you know, Skype was wonderful. And helping to get the same accommodation to other professors, sometimes that was very challenging. Some professors, they didn't see that they had to teach by Skype or that they had to have me on Skype to attend the class. Mm. So that was, again, another discouraging experience because it's up to the professors to decide whether they can do it or not. And I was very fortunate that most of the classes that I attended, the professors were very understanding and accommodating. Mm. It's probably the most important thing, right? It's probably more important than any assistive technology is to have the understanding of the people around you. Right, and just basic empathy to understand my desire to learn and technology is ready. They just have to understand the situation a little to help me a little bit. And, you know, uh, I was then, my classes were all for, you know, I finished all my classes. I was at the stage of preparing for my thesis proposal. And during those, I think that year I was writing my thesis proposal, I had the opportunity to take part in the UBICOM conference where they had to do a telepresence study. And I think among 200 people, only five were chosen. And I was fortunate to be chosen among those five to take part in that telepresence study to try <laughs> the beam and buy suitable technologies. I'm looking at uh, one of your photos in which uh, there is a monitor on a robot with wheels that robot can move around yes. basically that robot is your body and you're able to do telepresence through that robot yes it's got a camera on it so it's like an avatar yeah yes so it's, the beam is like my avatar it's an extension of my body so i can be at any remote location so the first time i experienced it you know i was standing like five feet tall you know i was able to see somebody at eye level, that was very unique experience for me because I never had the ability to stand. So I'm looking at a, a representative article of how you influence other people with your work, and it's from a publication called "The Voice of Specially Abled People," 
I like the name. Yes. <laughs> so the, the right. headline is Kavita Krishna Swami, who's inspiring the PM of India to make it more accessible. And there's some videos there as well that show you in telepresence yes. mode <laughs> with uh, the beam device. And it's also um, mentioning that you met with the Indian ambassador in uh, San Francisco, demonstrated yes, how the I device did. works, yes, right? Yes, <laughs> That's yes amazing. I tried to. Yeah, my big goal is to increase accessibility worldwide because in the U.S. we have the Americans with Disabilities Act, mm. the ADA, which mandates, you know, that we have ramps, curb cuts, yeah. you know, cold car, captions and videos, all sorts of accessibility that can increase yeah. more like, active lifestyles for people. So I hope that can be a worldwide, you know, feature that can yeah. everywhere we have accessibility. I can see that being useful, not just for people with physical disabilities, but for everyone. And literally, you can be everywhere at the same time. <laughs> yes, definitely. You know, with your mechanical, electronic body as well, but your senses are there. And uh, it's just, a, I think, a very promising technology there. Yes. Great. I think um, I'd like to ask you a few quick questions in a way. We're, we're just switching into... Uh, different segment, which we call rapid fire questions. So I'd like to ask you if you have a person that comes to mind that has been the most influential in the way that, well, you do your research in your case, since you are a researcher, but also if you thought about teaching in the future, or perhaps you are already teaching other students, um, a person who has influenced you in teaching. Teaching and research. I'm really influenced by my advisor, Dr. Tim Motes. Mm -hmm. He's a great mentor, and I'm really inspired by his ability to teach and also do research. What is his method of, of teaching? I guess his method is he spends time with the students. That's the first <laughs> <Simple>. thing. <laughs> <laughs> right? Patience. He's dedicated to uh, patience, and he makes sure that you understand first instead of just lecturing. Yeah. So that's very important, right? Yes. I mean, some some I feel just want to do the lecture and finish the class. Go home. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I think that type of dedication is really needed, and that really inspires me. Yeah. Great. Thank you. The next question that I typically ask our guests brings in answers such as Evernote or Google Docs or YouTube and things like that. I, I suspect that your answer is going to be very different. So here it is. What app can you not live without? Uh, YouTube, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess YouTube is great. Uh, I use it as a learning platform. Oh, there you I go. can't say YouTube. No, yeah, can I you say can. YouTube? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just to, to be... I, I really... <laughs> to be perfectly honest, I thought you were probably going to say something like... Um, voice recognition, artificial intelligence, right. or mind control, uh -huh. so you can control your robotic arms or something like that. But right. YouTube is definitely <laughs> one of my favorites. Because I have to learn, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great. Uh, can you do, I guess, an assistive technology that might be very useful there would be to be able to control the computer cursor so that you can type by thinking. I'm not sure if anybody's doing that, but that would be very awesome, yes. right? Instead of typing, to just think a query. Yes, like the brain computer interface that I've used 
I'm exploring right now opportunities to use the BCI to, you know, control the robotic arm to move it. Hmm. So definitely to also control mouse movements. Yeah. It's also a very possible option. And also, you know, the standard webcam, mm-hmm. if I'm trying to create a neural network based on recordings of where our head moves to use that as an inference to oh. move the mouse. Right, okay. So just by using computer vision and machine learning together, yeah. I'm trying to find a way if we can use the mouse cursor to control the robotic arm and also to type and just move the mouse for browsing. So it would be like teaching another human, you know, if, if I blink once, press a space uh-huh. bar, if I blink twice, do that, if I move my head this way and blink my eye, do that, and then you can translate all that into text entry yes. or instructions to the computer. Yes, and also also just looking up, can move the mouse up, yeah. looking right and left, just based on your yeah. eye gaze yeah. and also your head movements. And simple gestures like, you know, winking or smiling can click the mouse. Mm. So as, as Jamie would say in Mythbusters, uh, that, that is definitely plausible. <laughs> He can do it. (laughs) Okay, here's another question. Uh, What advice would you give to educators, so the teachers who have uh, students with special um, physical disabilities in the classroom? Like one or two things that they can do to really change the life of that student. Make it more inclusive. Mm. Like make sure that they have the ability to interact with other students in class like i mentioned building the robot for my robotic class in high school yeah absolutely i think inclusion making uh, having the feeling that you are if you belong here right is probably the uh-huh. most important thing in to doing learning once a student feels that they don't belong it's just impossible or very hard at least to learn anything and have high expectations as well yeah that's very encouraging yeah, you can do more than you think. <laughs> exactly. Right. Like uh, people that don't expect me to go to college, yeah. that was discouraging. So if you expect me to go to college, that would make me work even harder and be a better yeah. student. And j- just imagine the loss if you hadn't actually gone to college, if your teacher didn't say that you can do right. it. Right. The, the loss would be right. tremendous for everyone. Um I don't think it just should. Yeah. One more thing is not just work focusing on uh, classroom assignments and projects, mm. but giving them real world experiences mm. is also very important. I think. Engaging problems are usually uh-huh. real world problems because you can see the effects yes. they have in the world here. Yeah. Right. Uh, since you are a an engineer, essentially, I'd like to know what kind of programming languages you use for your artificial intelligence <laughs> robotics projects? So I've used Python, uh-huh. OpenCV, yeah. uh, what else? A lot of machine learning algorithms I've used, neural networks. Do you think that for somebody that, that wants to learn AI, would Python be a good place to begin at least? Yes, definitely. Because you can do it. Python is great. But Python is not just where you start, I guess, like... This is where you can end as it's well. It's the best because, for AI. Yeah. Yes, definitely. It, Python is very good. And even now, uh, if they want to learn web interfaces as well, like JavaScript, mm-hmm. that also is helping. They have a lot of machine learning 
libraries now available in JavaScript. In JavaScript. And of course, OpenCV is uh-huh. a library for uh, anything to do with image. Uh, yeah. Yes. And uh, it is accessible via Python as well, right? There are Python libraries uh-huh, for uh-huh. OpenCV. Yeah, OpenCV is available for Python and JavaScript as well. And JavaScript, yeah. Uh, I've got to say, it's one of the things that I've want to, I want to learn uh, because I've got an interest in Raspberry Pi applications and I want to start uh, developing content in uh, for the Raspberry Pi that does oh, visual processing. And, uh, I'm learning now. <laughs> Yes, that's awesome. And Java. Java. JavaScript. C++. C++, yeah. Java. Oh, Java. Java JavaScript, yeah. yeah. Java, yeah. Yeah. Java is different Java, than JavaScript. JavaScript, JavaScript is, yeah. Yes. <laughs> People confuse it. Um, okay, awesome. Thank you for that. Um, let's see. I think we're just about out of time. So I'd like to ask you for any parting thoughts for our listeners. You know, it could have to do with your life uh, as a roboticist, your life as a student, not necessarily as a student with special physical needs, uh, just a student, uh, that's it. Um, or as your life as a teacher or all of the together, basically anything goes. What would you like to tell our listeners? Everybody has a unique ability to contribute to the world. We just have to find a way to recognize <laughs> our unique skills and develop it, and always keep learning throughout your life. Learning does not end in the classroom. It only begins in the classroom and continues throughout your life. So yeah, that's great, yeah. work hard and do your best and keep learning. Keep learning. That, that's what life is about. Uh, I often think about it. What is the meaning of life? And uh, I think it's learning. <laughs> <laughs> it could be 64 be- as well, but... Uh-huh. And don't be discouraged by disappointments. Mm. I guess disappointments are a way of life. We have to find ways to cope with our disappointments, ways to cope with our disappointments in a healthy manner by finding solutions and thinking of creative solutions and working with others to help us. Yeah. Instead of you know arguing or fighting that doesn't go anywhere. But trying to be cooperative, trying to share your ideas in a healthy manner and getting the cooperation of everyone so that we can learn together to solve the problem, I think will bring a more positive impact. Can you only imagine <laughs> the impact <laughs> if, you, um, if you switch your uh, mindset of seeing problems and you know, failures as, as problems and you switch to another opportunity to learn something and not only that but i'm going to share my learning from this failure with other people so that we can move forwards together like just imagine at a big scale the effect of that in the world so i guess teachers should also be careful to to show that failing is okay and as long as you make good use of your failing is if you use your failure as a way to learn and improve that's the best way. Yeah. How can people get in touch with you? Yes, through email, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. My links are on the podcast, I guess. Podcast web page. Yes, we'll put them in we'll put them in the show notes. Okay. Awesome. Thank you very much. And I look forward to hearing from everyone about their ideas and any way we can increase robotic advancement. We're doing our best. 
education, I think is the key. Well, thank you, Kavita. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. I learned a lot out of this hour with you. Thank you so much, Peter. I really appreciate Peter for your time. My pleasure. Thank you, Kavita. That's all for this episode. The notes for this episode that include links to many of the resources mentioned and information on how to get in touch with Kavita are available on our website, techexplorations.com forward slash p forward slash stemiverse. Each episode comes with its own page on the Tech Explorations website and a goldmine of information in the notes. This Stemiverse podcast episode was produced by Tech Explorations. Do you have any questions or suggestions? Would you like to nominate a friend or colleague to be our guest? Please email us at pa at texplore.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes by searching for the name of our podcast, STEMiverse. That's S-T-E-M-I-V-E-R-S-E. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again next time.